We are back in Matthew 19. I just want to look at the first 12 verses today. The message is entitled, Missing the Supernatural. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Now, Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit, you would give your children understanding of your word. And then, Lord, apply it to our lives that we might be more like our Savior. Lord, that in each one of our hearts, it would be our desire to imitate you in our homes, in the workplace, at play, in the world, that we might be a reflection of your grace and your glory, that one day we might hear from you, well done, faithful servant. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. There are so many people in Christianity, I don't blame the world if they miss the supernatural, but there are so many people who claim to be Christians, they're observers of the Christian life. And when trouble comes, it blows them out of the water because they're, what has happened? What have I done wrong? Why do, why do I deserve this trouble? They just were showing up for church and maybe giving their tithe. Doesn't that kind of protect me from anything bad coming after all? After I got saved, I was listening to Joel Osteen. And he said, I'm going to have my best life ever. Well, first of all, don't listen to Joel Osteen. Any guy who puts an initial of himself on the front of the pulpit, you got an idea who he's going to be preaching, whose message that is. But there are so many believers. Trouble comes to their home, their family, and they don't know what to do. Trouble comes in the job, so what's our first response? Tell everybody around us about the person who's given us a hard time. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. That means don't worry about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. We read Psalm 23. If the Lord is your shepherd, then he's going to lead you sometimes through the valley shadow of death, right? And as he leads you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, not for your benefit, but for his name's sake, ultimately it'll be for your benefit, he's with you. In the process of sanctification, he's with you. That's not always comfortable. But what you can't leave out of the Christian life is the supernatural. These Pharisees that come to Jesus are so hardened, they ignore, they walk by the supernatural acts of his healing. Oh yeah, he does that stuff. And they walk right by it. Verse 1, when Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came to a region of Judea beyond the Jordan. He's in a place called Perea. Now Perea is a place that John the Baptist ministered a lot. And the Herod that was in charge there is the one that took John the Baptist's head. For what? For telling, John, for, for telling Herod that he was in sin. He was an adulterer for taking his own brother's wife. He put him in jail. You know the story. And it so upset his brother's wife that's living with him now, Herodias, that she, on his birthday, asks her daughter, her daughter's asked to dance, and so... Herod is so moved, he says to this stepdaughter, whatever you want up to half of my kingdom, I'll give it to you. And he's a drunk. He doesn't know what he's saying. But she goes to her mother and says, what, what do we want? We want the head of John the Baptist. 
Herod was troubled. He knew what to do, but he calls for the head of the John the Baptist. So these Pharisees are going to ask a question about marriage. But ultimately, they don't care about marriage. They're going to do what they do anyway. They're hoping Jesus messes up and offends Herod, and Herod will kill them, and their dirty work will be done then. Somebody else will do it for them. Some fair, it says, large crowds, verse 2, followed him, and he healed them there. Can you imagine being where Jesus is healing people? Because they bring every kind of person to Jesus. People that are blind, people that are lame, people that are diseased, and he heals them all, and you walk right back that. You think, you know, they probably wait a little bit while he's, this healing is going on, and someone of their group would have said, Wow. Maybe we're missing the point here. But no, they've covenanted together. We've got to try to trip him up. So they test him and ask him, is it, law for a, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? So what they're asking Jesus is, what's your reason a person can get divorced for? Because basically... There were two schools of thought. One rabbi's school said you can have no divorce for any reason ever at all. There are some Christians that act that way today. I grew up kind of in a church like that, and if you ever got divorced, then you, they kind of asked you to go someplace else to church because they didn't want you thinking about getting remarried because if you've ever been divorced, for whatever reason, you can never be remarried again, which is not biblical. God gives more grace to to believers in the Old Testament than, than they were giving to people in the New Testament under grace. And then there's the other school of rabbis that you get divorced for anything. If she burned the bagels, that's a reason of uncleanness because the Old Testament said that if you find uncleanness in your wife after you're married, you can divorce her. Now, it was permission. It wasn't a command. But these Pharisees had come to think of marriage as this, you know, Women were like chattel, just property. And if uh, you're in a bad marriage, it was your duty to divorce her. You don't want to be in a bad marriage. That's bad for you. It's like leprosy. You find you have it, you get rid of it. But Jesus doesn't fall into their trap. Remember they came to Jesus and said, should we be giving taxes? Should we be paying the temple tax? Should we be paying taxes to Caesar? And he just so quietly says, well, give me a coin. They hand him a coin. Whose picture on that coin? Well, Caesar's. Okay, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to Oh, just the wisdom of Jesus. In your heart, don't you desire you could just imitate him in every way? In his wisdom, in his answers, in his love for people that never quit. When he spoke and when he was silent, In our walk with God, God calls us to imitate Jesus in everything. It's a nice little thing people had for a while, you know, little armbands and sweatshirts, WWJD. What would Jesus do? And then they'd make it up. Well, I think Jesus would. Except for that's not Jesus. A lot of people making up what they think Jesus would be pleased with. I've had people say, well, Jesus wouldn't want me to stay in this marriage because X, Y, and Z. Well, you just made that up. 
Why wouldn't he? Well, because it's uncomfortable. Hmm. Then why would Jesus allow his most precious missionaries to go places they're going to give their lives for him if he never wants his children to be uncomfortable? Think he forgot about those people that day? Because the end of all living, the worst that can happen to a believer is not death, is not discomfort. It's a misunderstanding of the word of God and our opportunity that leads us into disobedience. That's the worst thing that can happen. So Jesus answers, and it's a rebuke. Have you not read? Don't you know the Bible? Whoa. Don't you know the Bible? Can you imagine that saying that to our seminary professors? We wouldn't say that to them because they do know the Bible. But, you know, Dr. Bookman comes and, and uh, he asks you a question. You say, don't you know the Bible, Doc? That's what Jesus was saying to them. Because he's taking them back to the purpose that God established marriage for. They want to pull him into which side you're on. When Joshua met the angel of the Lord just before they cross over and see Jericho defeated, remember Rich Tremaine was always emphasizing that. The angel of the Lord shows up and Joshua bows down before him and he says, whose side are you on? (laughs) He said, I'm on my side. Whose side are you on, Joshua? What side is God on? What does God think about marriage? What does God think about your marriage? What does God think about the way you are functioning in your marriage? Because in America today, Christians, like unsaved people, the divorce rate's about the same. They get uncomfortable. The heart goes someplace else, and they think it's all about what they think and what they want. But what does God think? Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He made one. One of each. Adam and Eve. He made Adam and Eve for marriage. That's God's word. That's what he said. He didn't not know this century was coming and forget about all the things that we say marriage is today. No, no. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And it is, the home is the first institution that God established. Before worship, before the tabernacle, before the temple, he established the home. The home is the primary building block of every culture. John MacArthur makes the point that God brings every creation into being. And every marriage, whether pagan or Christian, is God's creation. See, sometimes we get this idea, well, that's the world and God's not really concerned about them. No, no. That's why one day they will be held accountable. And everyone will stand before God. They'll be held accountable for the things they did in their life. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his flesh, and the, 
joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Only God brings people together for marriage, and man's the only one that separates them. The Bible says that God hates divorce. Why? Because of the destruction it brings. You that have been through that, doesn't mean God hates you. You know the destruction. You know the pain that brings. But we're only going to find peace and healing when we get back to the bottom line. So God, the Lord Jesus, takes them back to the beginning. He said, let no man separate. That's God's intention. In Adam and Eve, you saw the perfect home, the perfect family. It wasn't until sin came in that trouble started. Now, it didn't mean that Adam didn't have a leadership role before the fall. He did. He was the leader in that. And that's why it's not until he made a conscious decision to choose to disobey God that sin passed upon all men. He had a decision to make. His life was so wonderful with his wife, I think he couldn't imagine life without it. He expected they would die. The Bible says Eve was deceived. Adam was not deceived. He high-handedly sinned, thinking, I think, well, I'm going to die with my wife. I think it tells you a little bit about the wonder of their relationship. And so Eve was deceived, Adam was not, and he took and ate of the fruit. And then the curse came. The first part of the curse, fellowship was gone. And with it, the glory of God departed from their life. Without the supernatural, they felt naked. Naked. And so they hid themselves when God came. God came looking for them. Adam, where are you? He knew where they were. Well, we're, we're, uh, we're over here. Uh, and then what they do? Start blaming one another. Well, it's the wife you gave me, and she said it's the serpent that you created. But God took some animals and killed them, sacrificed them, and dressed them in the skins of those animals. And he told them, things are different now. Now, Eve, in pain and sorrow, you're going to bring forth children. And we know that Every time a baby's born, it's a miracle, but it also risks the life of a mom, doesn't it? It's a very dangerous situation. That's from the curse. And it said, your desire will be unto your husband. That doesn't mean you just desire him. That means now, instead of being thankful with your role of being an encouragement and a strength to that husband, you're going to want to dominate him. You're going to want to manipulate him. But the curse, instead of being a loving, caring leader, he's going to dominate you. That's the curse in men. And there are a lot of cultures where the men have been given that freedom just to dominate women. You see those cultures. They dress them head to toe. They control everything about women because women are the problem, you know. That's what their culture is saying. It's sad when that leeches into some forms of Christianity too. Women are the problem. No, it's not. Sin is the problem. And so Jesus says, here's what God intended. 
Listen, it was a wonderful thing before sin came and messed it up. The home was a wonderful thing. But he goes on to say, why then, do they say, did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Why did God, why did God allow that? Well, first of all, it wasn't a command. Jesus said, because of the hardness of your heart. But God never intended that when he, brought, when he invented marriage. John MacArthur points out, becoming one flesh isn't just the physical act of marriage. God welds two lives together in that covenant. Verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, look what the disciples' response to that is. If the relationship of the man and his wife is like that, it's better not to marry. What are they looking at? They're looking at marriage without the Holy Spirit. They're looking at marriage by the rules without God. Who can do that? Yeah, there are some worldly people that they get married and they live life together and they're able to get along. Maybe the pressure of, of culture, they just happen to marry the right one, I suppose. But in a Christian marriage, I think it's important that you pray. Unequally yoked doesn't just mean marrying somebody that's not a believer. You can marry a Christian and be unequally yoked. Because one's going one way and one's going the other way. So it's important to pray about everything, right? It's important that you pray about who you're going to marry as a Christian. But some of you got married before you were Christians. This is who you're married to. It's still God's will. The marriage you're in right now is God's will. But without the Holy Spirit, can you imagine trying to do life on your own? Because you can't control your spouse. What if his heart fades? What if her heart doesn't desire her anymore? Then what? The disciples look at this command of God, the law about marriage without the Holy Spirit, and they say, it's, oh, it's better if you don't get married at all. Jesus says this, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. There are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let who is able to accept this, let him accept it. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about marriage and divorce. And he says, you know, it's better. A eunuch is just being single. You know, because it doesn't mean that if a person like the Apostle Paul is going to be single for the kingdom of heaven's sake that he has surgery and has a castration so he could be a eunuch that was what kings did uh, probably to daniel and his friends but it's that god gives the gift of singleness paul says to some and they just live that way some are born without a desire for the opposite sex there's nothing wrong with that but marriage is a gift and god intended it for wonderful things 
The problem is sin. The problem is sin and the natural man. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul says there, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. He gives that instruction, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first task he talks about after that is marriage. Not great mission trips. Not evangelistic campaigns. He talks about marriage. He's not saying to people, listen, when I do my marriage vows, I do marriages, they're very short. My dad commented that one time when he was there for my son Ben's wedding. He said, kind of short, wasn't it? I said, you listened, didn't you? Because when you lay out what the Bible says, To husbands and wives, all the feminists here is what you say to a woman, and apart from the Holy Spirit, it's pretty harsh. These are the roles that God expects for Christians, but remember, he said spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. What is spirit-filling? The Bible says in Colossians 3.15, the Parallel passage to this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, because that's what the Holy Spirit uses in your life. So as a believer, you're going to be filled with the Spirit. That's just coming and singing these wonderful songs on Sunday. That's allowing the Word of Christ to make a decision about all of your decisions in life. Everything comes up against the Word of God. That's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, 911, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can you have a straight path? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. So as you come down the path of life, what do you run into? Problems, decisions, and there's the word of God to guide you. The psalmist said in the same chapter, the word of God is a light to our path. It's a lamp to our way so we can see, we can discern. But only believers have the Holy Spirit. And only believers submit to the Holy Spirit do they walk on the wind. Galatians 5 says, walk on the wind. That's an eagle, isn't it? A wind walker. Walk in the spirit. The spirit is wind. Walk on the wind so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if you go into your marriage thinking, well, I know the rules and I can tell my wife the way she's supposed to be, are you in for a surprise? There's a lot of Christians traditionally who think that their job is just to keep their wives under control. The Bible says you submit right there. It says that. Husbands, that's not your business. But what does he say? He starts to those under authority. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. See, a believer hears that, a believing wife hears that, and they go, wow, God's going to help me in this marriage. They rejoice in that. An unbelieving or a carnal wife hears that, says, I ain't doing that. What do you think this is, the 1800s? I'm not doing that. No, you can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's wrong to take this and try to apply it to a culture. You can't. This only applies to those that have the Holy Spirit, that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that desire to please the Lord. So in the marriage, 
The challenge is for wives to imitate Christ and serve their husband like he's Jesus, and we know he's not. He's not Jesus. If it was Jesus, there are some that still wouldn't submit to him. But for a believer, it'd be easy to submit submit to Jesus. I mean, it's Jesus. It's just pulling our focus off our spouse and onto the Lord that we are both called to imitate Christ in the marriage. See, if we learn to imitate Christ, that leadership will become inspirational to those around us. Inspirational. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. See, that's a place of protection. See, if Eve would have been thinking as she was being offered this great deception by Satan, death, she would have said, that's fine. Let me just, let's, let's get Adam in on the discussion. But she was deceived and Satan ministered to her pride that, you know, you're missing something. And, and then as soon as she fell, she offered it to her husband. She was deceived. Adam was not. But you think, well, that's, that's a pretty ridiculously tall task that Christian women are submit to their husbands. Have you met my husband? Right? But the husbands have just as impossible a task. Look what he says to husbands. Husbands, you love your wives as much as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Your leadership role is a sacrificial role to live for your wife under the leadership of God. See where it started? Verse 21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Spirit filling is imitating Christ. You talk to couples that are in trouble. And and he said, and she said, and he did, and she did. And if they do this, then maybe I'll do this. And then we have a lot of counseling that is button pushing. Well, I think if you do this, that'll make him fit. Listen, the only counseling a spirit-filled believer actually ever needs are these three verses. It's all they ever need. These verses rule and reign my heart in my marriage. Is Christy perfect? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. As she has submitted to Christ, she has become an inspiration for me to serve Christ and to serve her. She's an example. Now she'll tell you differently. That Paul's not perfect and neither she but in our marriages, we have grown. I can tell you, we as believers have this opportunity to have a taste of heaven while still here on earth. But it starts with each one in the marriage desiring to be like Christ. To be like Christ. Every marriage problem that I've run into is that simple. It's that simple. Not being Christ-like. And I know that people need a lot of times, a lot of time in marriage, but really, uh, in counseling, but really when it comes down to it, when you find believers that are willing to obey, that's all you have to tell them. Because that rules and reigns their life 
Some people are married to unsaved people. It doesn't change, does it? Same responsibility, to be Christ-like. To be Christ-like. That's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 7. All those things that people deal with that we deal with our culture, different reasons for why people are, are separated and why people are divorced in different ways. People got together in marriage. Sometimes it was just slavery. An owner bought a girl and now he belonged to her. And Paul said, don't seek to be divorced. But, but, the Lord has a way in all of these things. But Jesus' point here is marriage. And without the Holy Spirit, glorifying God in your marriage is impossible. You can only live for yourselves. And as soon as somebody gets out of joint, unless there's self-sacrificial love from Christ, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. See, where's the supernatural? The supernatural is what God does without you. I talk to Christians that are struggling in marriage and they look at me like, what are you talking about? And I think, where have you been? People have been in church all their life. And I said, listen, you do what you're supposed to do. God can touch their heart. Yeah, but when? I've been doing all this stuff, everything the counselor said, and it's not working. Well, see, the point is, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, it doesn't matter if they ever get their heart right, you're still going to be honored by God. That's your responsibility. But I have seen the opposite in some of your lives, and it blows me away. The goodness of God. I don't know whether it embarrassed people or not, because I, I just it's such a glory to God, it's such a testimony. But I remember a couple. They're here. She had just come to Christ, and she came to me and says, "You know, my husband's on the way out. It's not going to happen." Let's listen. You just do what you're supposed to do. And God used that in such a supernatural way. My buddy was out the door. He's my close friend. He was out the door. He was gone. But he saw his wife in this new relationship we have with Christ, and he had to stick around and see what was going on. That was He'd never seen that before. And her obedience, God used to draw him to Christ. You don't know. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. You don't know, oh man. You don't know, oh woman, that your obedience might be the supernatural inspiration to bring your unsaved spouse to himself. But it's not about the results. It's about your obedience before God. That is what is supernatural. Supernatural. Now later on, the disciples get the Holy Spirit. And I think they thought back on Matthew 19 and went, oh. There's a lot of things they had those aha moments with. But we as believers need to be reminded that our walk is supernatural. And the thing that God calls us to is supernatural. It's faith. But when we by faith obey, God gives grace. What is grace? Grace is the power and the supernatural desire to please God. To please God. 
I just look around the room and I've seen people that God has restored your marriage. It's not like an automatic. It's not like, you know, you went to Clayton, he gave you, Clayton and Molly gave you five things. Here's the five magic formulas, you know. Just do these things and everything's going to be fine. No, it took a commitment on your part to say, no, I'm going to please the Lord in this. I am going to obey Christ. I am going to imitate Christ no matter what anybody else does or says or thinks. And you became a channel for the love of God. That's why Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 praised this for the church. Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Our walk is supernatural. It's not just about learning some rules. See, even Christians want to learn that. Well, what's the reasons I can get divorced? That's what they came to him. He said, well, what God has intended. He gave one exception. He said, well, for immorality, unfaithfulness. But that wasn't a command. There is grace and there's forgiveness. It's supernatural. Hey, Christian, are you walking in the Spirit this morning? Father, we thank you for your love for us. You loved us and gave yourself for us in that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Oh, Lord, that each one of us in our homes might be Christ-like, that we might be the inspiration for others to follow you. That we might be selfless in our service to our wives and wives might be selfless in their service to their husbands that you might be seen, not us. And that our homes, our Christian homes in this church might shine like beacons to those that are groping in the darkness and losing their marriages and their homes and their children. Lord, that we might see the purpose of our homes as an opportunity to love others to Jesus. Lord, we don't take ourselves serious. Lord, we're nothing. But Lord, in you, in you, and in the Spirit, there is life. And you have given us this opportunity to be ambassadors for you. Oh, Lord, that in our Christian homes, we would be ambassadors for the loving power, the forgiving power, to those that are lost. And then we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.